It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hunt and Hill. Hunt Palmer, Jeremy Hill. Holding down the middle of the day. Live from the Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge studio, it's Hunt and Hill. Now on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. So if you listen to uh, Friday's show, caught me saying, man, Notre Dame's a threat. They can beat Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Nailed it, huh? Yep. Also, if you listen to Friday's show, I said, you know, we were talking about the NBA Finals game. I'm going, yeah, I kind of like Steph under 24 points, maybe a little bit of a foot injury. <laughs> I, I, uh, so, can't hit them all. <laughs> can't. Chef Curry was cooking over the weekend. That was something to watch. Yeah, look, I mean, that's why I've always favored, you know, the Warriors in the series. I, I just think those moments where you got to have your best player playing the best, um, the Celtics haven't had that with Jason Tatum. He's shooting 36% for the series and stuff. You know, it's hurt a lot, you know. You know, you had to have KD, had to have Kyrie Irving hurt, all this stuff. And uh, he's just played unbelievable, man. You look at his numbers in the finals for his career, uh, it's just it's sensational, and he's continued that. And I think, you know, put the Warriors back in the driver's seat to, you know, just handle business at home, and they can find themselves winning a, you know, a fourth NBA championship. Steph has now scored 865 points in the finals. That is 12th all-time past Shaq on the final scoring list. So the guys in front of him, Kobe Bryant, Magic Johnson, John Havlicek. Who is that? Tom Henson? I don't even know who that is. It's <laughs> interesting. I'm looking at the list. Uh, Sam Jones, Bill Russell, Elgin Baylor, Michael Jordan, Kareem, LeBron, and Jerry West. So only uh, Kobe and Magic Johnson next on that list for Steph Curry to pass on the uh, all-time final scoring list. But you know, it's um, there's just nobody in the league that can captivate me to the level that Steph can. It's just, Giannis may be more difficult to guard, and Durant has been so good for so long, and LeBron's one of the five best players to ever play the game. And But nobody can can captivate me personally <laughs> the way that Steph does when he starts shooting the ball like that. And, and for him to just go absolutely bananas in that playoff game um, was was just so much fun to watch. He goes for 43 points. He was 14 of 26, had 10 rebounds, made seven threes, and just kind of one of those deals where he decided he was the best dude on the floor and there was nothing Boston could do about it, and that's the best defensive team probably in the league, and he didn't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, when Steph's shooting 50% from the three-point line, you're at his mercy because now you got to run him off the line, and then now he's getting in the paint penetration, now he's forcing you to have rotations. And uh, to me, what, what makes Steph so great is just his movement without the basketball. When you got to, you know, 
cover him as soon as he crossed half court. It just puts so much pressure on your defense to be so sound. You got to stop all the backdoor cuts. You got to communicate. You're big. Can't sag off on any pick and rolls. It just puts so much pressure on you. And, and once he gets those shots falling, uh, the, you know, the, the basket looks like an ocean to him. And to watch him getting those flows, rhythm, uh, his rhythm offensively, it's just a beautiful thing to see. And so uh, I think the Warriors, man, they, they're going to continue to close this out. It's going to be tough for the Celtics to go on a, go on the chase in and win. So I told you I wanted to take the under on Steph at 24, and he goes for a north of 40, 43 points. Tonight, they've upped that over-under to 30 and a half. <laughs> that is a lot of points. I think I would take the under, right? Yeah, so what I, I tried to tell you last week, that this, that's when I stay far away from it. You know, those over-under points, man, they, they're tricky. They're tricky. You never know what you're going to get. They always pick the magical number that's right there, and it's just tough, man. He's flipping a coin. So if you like flipping coins, and those are the ones you might want to stick with. I mean, I was looking. I actually opened up the app this morning, and I was looking for a Draymond points thing because he just quit shooting. Like, he just is making no attempt to score every time he's out on the floor, and it's not even on the on the board on FanDuel. Yeah. Uh, they do have Clay Thompson, 19 and a half. Clay's been tricky, man. Look, you don't know which Clay you're going to get. I know it's not game six yet, but, uh, it's, look, Clay's been so up and down, and He's not been shooting it at a high percentage. Like, if there was an under, I'd probably take it would be on Clay, but it's Clay, man. He can get hot any moment, then he can blow right past that 19. Um, you got They've got on FanDuel top point score in the game. You can get plus money on Jason Tatum, plus 210. You got to lay money for Steph. It's, it's minus 120. But you can get plus money on Tatum and Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown's plus 550. Leading score of the game that interests you at all? I I could see that I could see that, but they're on the road. It's just ah, those road teams. If there's anybody I take, I'm taking Steph. I'm sure that's probably like minus two fifty or something crazy like that. But Steph is uh, minus one twenty. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll probably take that one. I take Steph on the points, especially at home. <laughs> That'd be the only um, it's about. so the look. We're in this business too, and it is, it is what it is. But um, ESPN's main talking point today on some of their morning shows was. Even if Boston wins this thing, you know, Tatum hasn't been awesome and Jalen Brown's been good, but can Steph be the first guy since Jerry West to be the MVP of the finals on a losing team? And my thing is, like, if LeBron can't get it a few years ago when dragging a bunch of nothing around and, and playing for Cleveland, can Steph be that guy? I don't think so, but it's a talking point. No, nah, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I think that's that's one of the more rare, rare, you know, coincidences we've seen in sports. I don't think you're going to see it again, especially, you know, if the Celtics, I, I can see if every guy was averaging like eight points or something and they somehow found a way to win. But I, I think Jalen Brown's having more than a phenomenal enough series if the Celtics were to win. Like, you got to give him the, the finals MVP. There's a, there's some, there's a, there's tons of Steph bets on this, on the app. And one is for, for the rest of the way, so potentially three games. Steph to score 45 in any of the games and Golden State to win the series plus 700. Some pretty significant stuff. But 45 is a long way to go. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, see, man, look, they, they throw those big those big paydays out for those tricky ones. Yep. So probably stay away from that one too. Steph to score 25 plus in every game the rest of the way, minus 195. You got to lay a pretty penny to get that. But <laughs> figure it's a pretty... It, <laughs> It's a pretty good play. I mean, yeah. he's gonna he's he's scoring a lot. Yeah, no, I, that's yeah. I mean, for three games, so uh, take me the one game variety. I, the three games is too many moving parts for me. I mean, it may end in two, so who knows? Yeah. Jalen Brown is still plus seven hundred to win the MVP. I mean, Steph's all the way down to minus one fifty, but Jalen Brown is 
I think if Boston wins, he's going to get it to this point. Now, obviously, Tatum can go nuts and, and take it from him down the stretch, but like I think that's some pretty good action. Yeah, no, I, I like Jalen Brown for, for MVP if the Celtics find a way to win this series. He's been the most consistent guy all series. He's knocking down the three balls, you know, shooting a way higher percentage from the floor. Uh, then, then obviously, then Jason Tatum is, and he's doing a job on on Clay defensively. So yeah, I, I think for me, Jalen Brown for sure. Who do you have winning this series? I still got the Warriors. I still got the Warriors winning this series. Um, I, I think winning Game Four was so huge for them, getting back home court advantage, putting the pressure back on the Celtics, and you know if they can win this Game Five, then of course they're in the catbird seat to, to win the series. Sure are. Um, the Celtics went in there and and played well uh, and got a game in in the first leg. So it's. This, again, this has been a good series. I've, I've enjoyed it. I've watched more of this series than any of the others uh, previously, and I, I think it's been really, really fun basketball to watch. Just two different, very different styles, but I'm, I think both fairly aesthetically pleasing, simply when the Warriors get to, get to cooking. But um, I think I would stay away from betting the, um, betting the, the finals winner because right now Boston's coming back plus 125. Golden State is minus 150. You know, when Golden State had fallen behind in the series, you could get plus money on them. Now you can't. Certainly, if they were to lose tonight, you could get that plus money back. But um, I think I would stay away from it because I think the, the Warriors are going to win as well. I think the NBA missed an opportunity. They should have been playing last night. Like, why do they take the weekend off? <laughs> I, that's yeah. To me, that's weird. I think Sunday yeah. night would have been a sweet spot for them to be in. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're married to this two games between you know each game and trying to get the players rest and – with the travel and all that stuff, so they're locked in that way. But you're talking about a primetime spot, yeah. I would have to agree with you. And, Sunday I mean, night would have been it. They, they never, they never do anything with player safety. It's always what does the television want? What do the dollars want? How do we drive revenue? All that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, it did come down to it, and they, they backed up a day. And what we gave the guys actually, that's a long flight, Boston to uh, to Golden State, long flight. So you got uh, you got the Warriors tonight. Yeah, I got the Warriors tonight. I'm probably not picking against the Warriors at any point uh, for the rest <laughs> on here. I think they'll close it out. I think the Warriors in six, I feel good about it. So, yeah, let's see. Warriors. Duly noted. Um, I saw a headline today that uh, blew me away, and then I read the story, and it was even more interesting. So can't wait to get Jeremy's thoughts on the NFL story. We'll do that next on Hunt and Hill. Serving up the latest from the sports world. It's Hunt and Hill. Bayou Ford. Check him out at BayouFord.com. Come been telling you about this AC system check that they've got going on over there. This is good for another two weeks throughout June. They will do an AC system check for just $29.95. They'll test for the proper cooling and operation. They'll inspect your hoses. They'll uh, look at your connection, see if there's any leaks and there are any repairs that need to be done. They will take care of that for you as well. We know how hot it is. We know how badly we need the AC cooking in there, and that's what Bayou Ford is going to do with this awesome AC system check. They got some pretty sweet deals on cars, too. Yeah, they got an awesome special on two vehicles right now. The first being all-new 2021 Ford F-150 trucks. They're getting $10,000 off MSRP, and also all-new 2022 Ford Edge SUVs. They're getting $4,000 off MSRP. All those deals are right there on the website. If you go to BayouFord.com, you can look through the inventory and if you don't see exactly what you want, don't settle. Call Ben Gagne and the crew over there at Bayou Ford. They will customize a vehicle for you. Bayou Ford, what we're going to do right by you. Hunt and Hill. 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. 
Out on the open field here on a Monday edition of Hunt and Hill. Hope your Monday is going well. Um, are you aware of Devon Allen? Uh, track guy? He's a track guy, right? Yeah. I'd say it's fair to call him a track guy. He ran the third fastest 110-meter hurdle time ever over the weekend at 12.84. We don't talk a lot of track on this show, obviously. But this is pretty relevant because this guy is one of the greatest track stars in the world. He went to Oregon's Pro Day and ran a 4.35. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The Eagles said, yeah, you played at Oregon. You hadn't played football in three years, but we're <laughs> signing you because that's fast. <laughs> yeah. This is a crazy story to me. This guy has not played football in three years. He's been running track. He's one of the best hurdlers in the world, maybe the best hurdler in the world, mm-hmm. and he signed a three-year deal with the Eagles. <laughs> yeah. That is freakishly athletic. Yeah, no, I think, you know, the Eagles, we, we've kind of seen them go that route in the draft. You know, they had a chance to take a guy named Jets, but, you know, they went with Rager, the, the speed guy. Jalen Rager. Yeah, so uh, this is kind of them dipping into that pool again. They're trying to get some more speed on the outside, and, you know, what a guy, and, you know, that's going to, you know, be a top five all time and, you know, hurdle time. So, yeah, I think, you know, these teams, they got to find guys that kind of, you know, are, are different. And I think finding a guy this athletic and this fast is definitely something different that you're not going to see on every NFL roster. Think of some guys that you played with that stand out as that they could. I'm not saying be the fastest hurdler in the world, but like, are there guys that stood out? That, I mean, you're around elite athletes your entire life, but you look at a guy and that's that's different. He's different, yeah. dude. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've definitely been around some of those guys. I, I think to me, uh, just guys probably you probably don't think of like the Pro Bowl, like you know, all pro guys. Like to me, a guy like Michael Ford was. Yeah. Probably one of the more different, like, athletic freaks I've ever seen. Like, the guy's arms, like, he had biceps, like, like a python. And um, the dude had, like, a, you know, 40-something-inch vertical jump, like, 10-foot broad jump. He benched, you know, 25, you know, 30 times. Like, just everything in as far as athleticism and just freak nature, like, stuff goes. Like, to me, like, Michael Farr is one of those guys who was just different that way. I used to laugh with Michael Ford. <laughs> that 11 team. <laughs> You would have to deal with Spencer Ware hammering at you for 20 carries. And at the end of the year, Kenny Hilliard coming at you as a freshman for 20 carries. And then they'd bring Ford in and run some toss out to the side. And they'd been running and getting hammered for four quarters. And then Ford's ripping around the edge with all that speed. West Virginia had no chance to stop him. He scored against Oregon, I think, as well. Like It was just the, the, the compliment that that backfield had with the power and then go to the speed. I'm not even talking about Alfred Blue and some of the other guys that would come yeah. in later 
it was just funny to watch. No, no, it was definitely crazy. And I think that's kind of the mold that, that was exactly fit for that toss dive less miles offense is that, you know, you got your hammers in there and then you can kind of hit the guys with the change of stuff with the guys like Michael Ford and stuff. And we kind of see later on the guys who can kind of do it all like guys and stuff like that. But I, I think that 11 team had the full complement of backs where you got guys who could, you know, even guys like Kenny who could line up at the fullback position and uh, eat up carries that way. And then, you know, you got Ford and then you got Blue and, you know, those guys are stacked, man. That's how you get to a national championship, running the ball down people's throats. There was a time there where there was a progression to, from fullback to tailback under less. It kind of started with Hester, um, but a lot of different guys did that. Stephen Ridley did it. Charles Scott did it. Kenny Hilliard did it. Spencer Ware did it. I mean, those guys had played some fullback previous to being the featured tailback, and it was just a weird – those days are long gone now, yeah. but that was kind of the way things, things went there. Another story I saw that interested me uh, today – was Chris Lowe sat down with Lincoln Riley and they discussed a lot of different things from NIL to USC and all this kind of stuff, but they didn't mention LSU in the piece. And they said, did you, there was so much buzz around you and LSU, you know, was that something that you were interested in? And he said, no, I never picked up the phone. In fact, I got calls every single year from lots of different places. The NFL, I never, my agent got them. He told me that people were interested. I said, go away. That's it. But USC was the first time he ever picked up the phone. Look, I think, there are only a few people that know for sure, and people try to change messaging and branding and, and try to protect images and all this kind of stuff. Um, the more I hear, the more stories I see, the more I really think that Lincoln Rowley never got a call from LSU. The more I think that Scott Woodward identified Brian Kelly early, and that was going to be his guy, and all the other names that floated or because of agents, or because, you know, trying to get raises, or like kind of stuff. I, I, I really believe, and that may be naive because there's all kinds of reasons for Lincoln Riley to say he never talked to LSU because, you know, it that makes it sound like that you were quitting on your guys at Oklahoma or you know, whatever. It, there, there are ulterior motives for any kind of story to leak out or anything to know, and all this is going on behind closed doors and in private planes. But <laughs> I, I really don't think that Lincoln Riley was ever a a candidate at LSU. I mean, when you look at uh, him and obviously Coach Kelly having the same agent, yeah. uh, I couldn't see a world where they're negotiating against themselves and you're negotiating Coach Kelly's contract while you're trying to get uh, Lincoln into town at the same time. It's just, uh, I don't think that thing works like that. So is there a world where I could see, you know, Lincoln probably never crossed that LSU threshold and never, that really wasn't a big deal ever? Yeah, because, you know, with, with Coach Kelly, you know, being hired not too shortly after, and then them having the same agent, I think the world of them really never really, you know, being a real big deal. You know, I could definitely see that happening. Yeah, it just that's it's the way I feel. And I, that, it, it, that coaching search um, and even the, the, the basketball and baseball coaching searches um, to a lesser extent, they're just not as, as quite as high profile, kind of taught me some stuff in our first go around here. There's just so much out there that is just nonsense from, from every angle. And, you know, in this show, we kind of said how we were going to do it. I wasn't going to say something unless I knew it for sure. Like, I knew that Billy Napier wanted the job and had made some overtures to people as far as what kind of staff he could put together at LSU if given the opportunity. And then he did not hear from LSU after an initial contact. Like, that's the only thing that I ever got out of that coaching search that was ironclad. And that's the only thing we went on the air with. I, I didn't – I mean, every time someone reported a name – 
we talked about that name, but the two of us never came on and said, this is what's going to happen. This is, this is the way it's going to be. This is what's going on behind closed doors. Like, cause I just didn't know. And you know, there was a lot being said on the outside that, that Scott Woodward kept swinging and missing at the candidates that he wanted. And yeah, the more I look at this, I think, I think he kind of zeroed in on his guy early and that was it. And it, it that certainly seems to have been the case on the other two. Yeah. I mean, Jay Johnson became his guy, and I don't think anybody turned him down on the baseball side. And you know, I don't know what the basketball search is going to look like because I thought that was going to be a grease <laughs> fire, but it, it it came to a pretty quick resolution. So feels like these have all kind of been the same, where he's yeah. gone behind closed doors, nobody's really known it, and, and then he found his guy and came out with him. Yeah, I mean, I, you got to give it to Scott. He runs a pretty ironclad situation when he's looking for a candidate. And every time, even with the women's basketball coach, I had no idea Kim Mulkey was coming to town. And then next thing you know, she's in Baton Rouge. So uh, it's been that way with every hire. And I, I think you kind of got to give Scott his respect that way. So, you know, when we're all thinking Lincoln or playing Colton Baton Rouge and Bedlam, it's like he's doing all that yeah. for no reason because, you know, Scott probably had his guy, like you said. I mean, I think we kind of look back, you know, it was after the Kentucky game, kind of we knew the head coach coaching situation so scott had ample time to find his guy and i think that's exactly what he did golf south in the bayou Ford chat says hunt what about lsu's private plane that flew to oklahoma that's the proof lol joking yeah i mean you get got the flight aware the flight aware season is in full effect in december and early january and that uh i mean that was a that was a crazy deal where it flew and then some guy tweeted out no that's actually me i was flying here whatever i for, i had kind of forgotten about them playing Colin baton rouge at Bethlehem. that was some stuff i was sitting there in the uh i'm, I'm sitting at the at the game the lsu a&m game and um, I'm watching us see that come up on the, and I was telling some people, everybody's just cracking up. That was classic stuff, but um, it's, it's a pretty good story uh, that, that Chris Lowe wrote on Lincoln Riley. Um, they talked about uh, the transfer portal and whether or not Oklahoma was tampering um, when, you know, they bring in the Bolitnikoff winner and a guy who's, you know, maybe the favorite for the Heisman uh, quarterback. And he kind of obviously dismissed any kind of tampering and said that, you know, that there are some, some good things about the transfer portal and maybe some not so good things about the transfer portal. And then they went into the NIL stuff with LA and he said, you know, the, the thing that, that we've got here that, you know, it's not necessarily the case everywhere is you're not just dealing with like mom and pop shops. Like you can deal with mega media companies here and, and have partnerships that can extend decades. If you play, you know, if you go on to play in the next level and, and there's, there's certainly an element to that at USC that doesn't exist everywhere. No, no, they definitely do. And I think, you know, being a private university, they don't have to disclose a lot of stuff these public schools do, just like Lincoln Raleigh salary. But um, <laughs> I think, uh, I think, yeah, they definitely have those those relationships with some of those big, big brands and big companies. And I think if you're a player that played at a high level there, especially now with NIL, um, you know, you can definitely make some chunk of change for yourself and your family. You can certainly do that. Um, and the last piece to this is they said, do you think you were – People were speculating that you were running from the SEC um, when you decided to take the USC job. He said, I wasn't running from the SEC. I was running to USC. And you can't go out publicly and say, yeah, I'd much rather play uh, Oregon State, Cal, Stanford, Arizona State, and Utah than Texas, Texas A&M, LSU, Auburn, Bama, and Georgia. <laughs> like, you can't come out there and say it. But same point, like people were clowning on Lincoln Riley for that if that was the case. I'm sitting there going, hey, there's two different roadmaps here, and one of them looks a little bit more navigable to me. And there's no barrier to getting players over there at SC, and there's no barrier to getting to the college football playoff at SC. Um, 
it just looks a little different from September through November. I think it's smart. I, I, yeah. would, I, I think it's a smart thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, being the contract that he did get, I mean, the world was offered to his feet, so you knew wherever he was going, the conversation wasn't going to be the issue. It was going to be, you know, just the, like How you said, that, yeah, that roadmap. It was going to be the roadmap. And I think at USC, obviously the job he's done in the transfer portal already kind of made shift the team in one year. Uh, I think that offense is going to be spectacular going into the next season. But, yeah, if you look at the job he can do in transfer portal and then just all the stuff that's there in sunny sunshine, California, yeah, I could see Lincoln taking his talents there than the SEC for sure. Pretty good gig. The question is, can he? Can he? I mean, would you bet on Lincoln Riley to to get this thing turned around and to win to win big and to get to national championships? I'm worried about the defense. I, I'm, I am worried about the defense. Um, I think that I can think the, the appearance is there, but I think when you start running into some of these Georgias, you start running into some of these Alabamas, you start running into some of these Ohio State teams that they trot out there, you got to be a complete team top to bottom. And so that's what I'm worried about with USC and this team. That their offense is going to be explosive, but can they stop someone? So I can see them getting to a playoff, but winning it all, I think it's going to be a little tough for Lincoln. Without USC, the Pac-12 is just a non-factor. Like Utah can't carry the mail. I, like that's just not gonna get it done. Um, that's like asking South Carolina to carry the mail in the SEC. Like that just that's not consistently gonna work. And, and Oregon, for as much success as they have and as good a program as they've been under multiple coaches, it's still in the state of Oregon, and it's just hard to to consistently recruit at the level that some of the teams in 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 the Southeast and even in the Big Ten can recruit to. So SC's got to be the lifeblood. Like that's. There can be a team here and there that can pop up elsewhere, but for that for that the conference to be taken seriously, SC's got to be alive, and they haven't been alive for years. And for that reason, no one ever gets in from the Pac-12. I mean, they let Washington in, and they got embarrassed. So it's uh, that's got to happen. I think he's going to have a lot of success there because I just think he's he's going to recruit really well, and I think he's going to be a really good play caller. And it's just not as competitive a league. I mean, it's just. You've got some weeks where they just can't beat you, like Colorado, and Arizona. They just, State. yeah, they just they're, they're not gonna they're not gonna beat you. Every reasonable team, there, there are more more layups in that league uh, than there are in in some of the other ones. So I, I would bet on him. I think he's gonna get it done there. But it was an interesting read. If you want to check it out, Chris Lowe sat down with him. It's just a long Q and A there. Uh, and they covered a lot of different topics there on ESPN.com. Thirty minutes to go here with us. You're listening to a Monday edition of Hunting Hill. Hunt Palmer. And Hill. This is Hunt and Hill on 1045 ESPN Baton Rouge. So NIL has its flaws. Uh, you know, got created some issues. We've well documented those. Um, this is not one of those flaws. This is cool. Uh, WWE has announced a second class of college athletes that have gotten NIL agreements uh, to go through this program that they've got called Next in Line uh, that basically is a branding uh, thing. And obviously, you know, that's what WWE is, is creating brands and entertainment and whatnot. And so uh, there are 15 uh, college athletes that are going to go through this program. Um, they include a gymnast from Auburn, Darian Goborn, uh, Tennessee track and field star Chandler Hayden, uh, Pac-12 wrestling champion Colton Schultz, Ole Miss cheerleader 
uh, a tight end at Illinois who was a top 100 recruit. He went to Georgia, and then he's at uh, Illinois. His name's Luke Ford. Uh, there's a fullback from Arizona State, Case Hatch. I didn't even know there were fullbacks anymore. Hester's got to be thrilled. Michigan State linebacker. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got a Hampton linebacker, Keyshawn Moore, um, who's the first NIL signee from an HBCU. Um, so it, it says here that they'll be uh, that the promotion uh, has a long history of hiring former college athletes. The Rock being the most famous, but you've got Ron Simmons, Roman Reigns, who played uh, football at Georgia Tech, Bianca Belair, who was a Tennessee track and field. Uh, and so they're going to kind of go through this uh, professional wrestling type deal <laughs> to learn how to you know look into this potentially being a, a line of work and to, to work on branding and social media following, which I think is pretty cool. No, it's a great opportunity. And I think, you know, being a big WWF fan back in the day myself, yep. you know, that's when I still thought it was real. But um, <laughs> I think this is uh, I think this is great for the student athletes. It's got to you know, be exposure for them to, you know, obviously partner with a, a big time company like the WWE and, you know, be able to do some different things and try some different things. And I think you know, going forward, um, it's going to just create, you know, more opportunities for these kids who, you know, if things don't work out, you know, in the classroom or obviously on, on the you know, sport that they're playing, you know, they can have this avenue of going to the WWE and, and being a star that way too. My only experience with professional wrestling, I didn't get into it as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. I, it was like all these things kept popping up, all these, th- these things that kids loved, whether it was yo-yos or Pogs or Pokemon cards or WWE or and I never got into anything because I'm just a one-track human who only cares about sports and that's it and I just never got into any of it but I had a really close friend uh, growing up he's my best friend he lived around the corner and we used to you know play sports all the time play basketball video games all this kind of stuff and he when we were in like second or third grade he moved to South Carolina and so later that summer uh, so it, I mean, it'd probably be, you know, it probably, we had a probably school, school year and then the next summer. So it'd been like 11 months since I'd seen him and I flew to South Carolina by myself and he was just obsessed with wrestling. And all <laughs> we did the whole weekend was watch wrestling and like, look at wrestling stuff. And I was like, this is terrible. Who is this guy? How are we still friends? Like, I don't even, I don't want, why can't we go play basketball? Uh, that was that's my only uh, in, my introduction to wrestling. I did play some WCW NWO Revenge on N64. That was uh, that was pretty fun. Um, but that uh, I I think this is a really cool deal and, and something that's interesting in WWE. Speaking speaking of fights, um, I think we're going to do this and take it or leave it. But I just kind of want to talk about it because the weekend of golf was a historic weekend and ended with a kind of an interesting little jab uh, by Rory McIlroy. So the live golf thing goes on. Uh, and Charles Schwartzel wins $4.75 million because um, he won the tournament for the $4 million, and then his team won, which the team names were so ridiculous, the Majestics and the Stingers and the Crushers, and it was really... But um, they, their team won, so he wins $4.75 million in a golf tournament. Uh, but back stateside, well, not stateside, it was actually in Canada, the RBC uh, Canadian Open, you had an unbelievable uh, back nine where Rory McIlroy is shooting a final round 62 to win the tournament. Justin Thomas is tied with Rory with two holes to play. Tony Finau is going great. Justin Rose had a chance to shoot 59 uh, in the final round. He made three bogeys and still shot 60. But it was an awesome, awesome golf tournament with big names and low scores. It was a lot of fun. And then after the tournament is over, uh, Rory McIlroy is doing a post-round interview with Amanda Balionis Renner, and he says, yeah, my 21st win, that's one more than, than some other person. And that 
other person would be Greg Norman, who has 20 <laughs> career wins and is, is, is heading up Live Golf. It's uh, Rory has been very, very vocal about defending the PGA Tour and has said many times he's disappointed that guys are going to do this for a money grab. Um, and he said he doesn't, you know, he doesn't uh, hold it against them. He's just disappointed that some that guys would go. And for him to fire back like that, uh, you know, on the opening weekend of Live Golf, I thought was fascinating and <laughs> and pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I think you're going to see a, a large group of guys really, you know, stand up for the PGA Tour and try to, you know, hold its you know, high regard that it's held in and winning a tournament and winning a Masters and winning, you know, some of the big majors you can win. Um, you know, it's not going to be the same if everyone's kind of, who uh, you know, playing overseas and, you know, going across the pond and playing that way. So to see Warrior kind of take a stand on that, I think it's good for the guys who are, who are still on the tour and, you know, you know, keeping the tour's name in up in good faith and uh, taking a shot at Norman. I know you're probably not the biggest fan of his, so taking a shot at him probably wasn't uh, the craziest yeah, thing I don't like Greg Norman at all. I think he's an <laughs> egomaniac. Um, and I don't like Rory because he plays for Europe in the Ryder Cup. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but he's been pretty vocal about this, and it's been easy to, to pull for him. I, I, I said... Last week on Friday, my thoughts on this live golf thing, and I, I have a hard time telling somebody that they can't go get a hundred million dollars to go play golf, and I have a hard time looking at somebody like Taylor Gooch, who would very likely make a, a huge living on the PGA Tour and have a, a really long run. But you could also look at somebody like Smiley Kaufman, who was a top fifty player in the world, who was in the last group of a major, and then all of a sudden. Breaks hurts his wrist twice, and now he's out of professional golf and has to find a new way to make money. And if you're Taylor Gooch and you're looking at that going, man, that could be me, or I could just go take the whatever they offered him, 20 million bucks up front, and just make life a little bit easier. Like that's that that whole thing is, you know, it is what it is. It just bums me out that you're going to split the PGA Tour in half and you're going to have half the guys playing in one spot, half the guys playing in another spot, and it just waters down the entirety of the sport of golf. And that's what concerns me about it. And so I've been on the side of the PGA Tour on this one for that reason, and Rory's been a champion for that. And he's, um, you know, it was it was a perfect thing for the PGA Tour this week to have. Uh, to have Rory McIlroy win and get a microphone in front of him because that's the that's the, the perfect guy to give that message. There are two guys that can really um, hammer that home, and it's 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 Rory and it's Spieth. And you know, JT's Justin Thomas is kind of in that vein, but you know, now you got the U.S. Open coming up at, at Brookline this week, and if you're Jay Monahan, you just got to hope that one of quote unquote your guys wins this thing, and not one of the guys who's gone. To, to play on live. Now, there are not many people that have gone to play on live that I think are capable of winning the U.S. Open. Dustin Johnson certainly is. Uh, the rest of the guys, I have my sincere doubts. So I'm sure, I guess, Sergio could catch lightning in a bottle. I, you know, Obviously, Charles Sportsman played pretty good last week, but I don't think those guys are serious threats at all uh, at the toughest test in golf. But it's going to be another interesting deal because if a, a live golfer comes in and wins the U.S. Open, like it's just not a good look for the PGA Tour. But a, a firing shot... Rory McIlroy uh, to uh, to to live golf and to Greg Norman specifically yesterday after he won at the RBC Canadian Open, which was which very very interesting to me. Take a time out, come back and wrap up a Monday edition of Hunt Hill. This is Hunt and Hill on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. LWCC is Louisiana loyal, and every single month here on Hunt and Hill, they're going to highlight a champion of Louisiana. If you know someone who's doing great things in the state of Louisiana and deserves to be recognized for that, nominate them. 
at lwcc.com backslash Louisiana Loyal. This week, this month, it's our pleasure to tell you about Four Sisters Rice. Yeah, so I would tell you guys about Four Sisters Rice. Four Sisters Rice is taking a little grain and making a big difference in the world. They're located in Marouge, Louisiana. This family-owned rice company has been an economic driver in their region since their father founded the Kennedy Rice Mill. The Four Sisters Rice launched the companies to provide good food to families across Louisiana and beyond. Food is more than what you put on a plate. It nourishes your soul. The Four Sisters are changing the face of agriculture with four female owners and opening up possibilities for future female farmers. Four female owners changing the rice game up in northern Louisiana. Four Sisters Rice, our champion of Louisiana this month. Again, go to lwcc.com backslash Louisiana Loyal if you want to nominate a champion of Louisiana. LWCC is Louisiana Loyal. And Hill, 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. All right, let's do some picks for tonight. Got three games, two Super Regionals, and an NBA Finals game. We've talked about this a little bit throughout the show, but we'll start with Stanford and UConn out west. Who you got in that game three of a Super? Uh, I'll take Stanford in that one. I think they're battle-tested. I think they've been there. So, uh, yeah, I'll take Stanford. I'm pulling for Stanford big time. i got to get somebody in Omaha that can beat these SEC teams, and I don't have confidence that UConn is that team. Um, Stanford struggles offensively, but they do pitch it really well. Uh, I, somebody's got to go to Omaha and beat these teams in, from the SEC. I, I can't have A&M or Ole Miss winning a national championship. Arkansas, I, that's, that's unacceptable to me. I can't <laughs> deal with that. We had to deal with it last year. I don't want it this year. I need Stanford to win that game, so I will pick them there. Oregon State and Auburn, that's another SEC team. Um, your thoughts on that one there? We talked about it in the first hour, but. Yeah, yeah I think Auburn wins it uh, as much as I would Sonny not. D? Yeah, man, big Sonny, man. Like, baby, baby, uh, Miggy is what I call him. But, uh, yeah, I think. Uh, not I think, baby anything. Yeah, a big yeah. old boy. <laughs> yeah, it's a big boy. But, yeah, I, I think Auburn does enough to, to win there at home and. I think they get. I think they advance to Omaha. It's actually in Corvallis. It's in Oregon oh, yeah, State. Yeah. So uh, I will take. I will take Oregon State uh, in that game as well. Give me the two Pac-12 boys headed to Omaha uh, with uh, with the ability to beat some SEC teams. Finals game tonight. Gave your pick a little bit earlier, but I want to give the pick with the number. I believe four is the line at this point. Let's look. Yeah, I think they're just giving that that humble four to each home team. But yeah, I, I think the Warriors cover that four. So yeah, I'll lay the points down. I'll lay the points down on the Warriors at home. That just seems like the play, um, but when that's the case, is no, that actually what's going to happen? Yeah, yeah, exactly. uh, so look, give me the points. I'll take uh, I'll take the Celtics and the points, and I'll feel terrible about betting against the Warriors. But those are our picks for this evening. Do some take it or leave it now. The Knicks have shown some interest in Carmelo <laughs> Anthony for next season. Thirty eight year old Melo. Leading the Knicks to yet another horrendous season. Take it or leave it. I'll take it. I, I think the number one reason why I'll take it, I want to see Stephen A's rant to this. He's going to probably have a nice soliloquy going on for about 10 minutes about how bad his Knicks are. Look, my Lakers are bad enough, so it's good to see other people, you know, willowing in their teams, just bad fortunes that are going to be on the horizon. And I think for the Knicks, it's just going to be a lot more of that. It's just not looking good for the Knicks. And I think bringing Melo back at this point, I think we've seen that. I mean, my Lakers just tried to get that a run and, didn't go very good for us, especially defensively. So, yeah, for the Knicks, I'll take it all day long. It doesn't make any sense that the Knicks have been awful for 20 years. That just, yeah. I mean, in that city, with that ability, you should be able to recruit great free agents and just 
there's no reason for them to be awful yeah. over the fact that their ownership stinks. And that's yeah. that's the problem. Yeah, that, that's the biggest thing. I think, you know, the, not many, you know, owners are very popular, but it's bad when your owner's popular for being a bad owner. And I think that's what, when you hear uh, Dolan, that's, that's what you think. You just think he runs his franchise terribly. And when you got former players getting kicked out the arena. It just goes on and on just how bad the Knicks have been. And, you know, you saw them last season, man. That that place was electric for the playoffs, yeah. man. They, they, they were so hungry and thirsty, you know, to have any sort of success. And it's just, you know, it's just been, you know, the exact opposite of that for Knicks fans. That would be a big draw for the league if you could get them into a conference final or into the finals in that arena with that fan base. I mean, that's a, yeah. that's a rabid fan base up there in that city. They just stink every year. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, they do. All right. Next one here, University of Maryland head coach Mike Loxley. He said since he spent time in the SEC West at Alabama, he would say that the Big Ten East is very, very similar. The SEC West is similar to the Big Ten East. Take it or leave it. In basketball? In... <laughs> well, he's a football coach, so I'm assuming he's talking no. about uh, football. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, that's just, just not right. Uh, but thanks for trying, Mike. Good sales pitch. Uh, not going not gonna to get it done. Um, Joe Vital of USA Today ranked the SEC football head coaching jobs first to worst. Gave LSU the four spot. Texas A&M, third spot. Texas A&M is a better job than LSU. Take it or leave it. Uh, well, if you're asking me, I'm a type of guy I like the hardware, I like the jewelry. <laughs> you know, I like the first round picks. You know, I like the I like the whole full circle. I like you know the Heisman winners. I know they got one of those too, but you know, I like the full thing. Now, if we're talking collectives, we're talking you know you know budgets, we're talking you know facilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that, but to me, I'm gonna have to leave this because you know, for me, head coaching job, you want that pedigree. You want to be able to, you know, like they say. Well, I forgot the recruit's name, but he walked in and he said, Where, "Where's the hardware? Where's the chipset?" That's the type of guy. I so no, I, I can't put a m job over LSU right now. This is uh, probably a conversation for another day in the summer. Um. I wonder if I'm going to have to rethink all this with NIL because as of two years ago, this is laughable. But now, if he who has the gold makes the rules as the golden rule, like that changes the equation. And if I see in in three years that LSU continues to lose in-state players to Texas A&M and they continue to go eight and four, nine and three. It's it just becomes money, and LSU's got some money. They don't have A and M's money, and I wonder if that now is a bigger deal than it was two years ago when I was thinking about this. I mean, I've always thought of LSU as a top five job because you have no in-state competition, and Texas A and M obviously doesn't have that as a perk. Uh, they have the opposite; they've got everybody coming in there recruiting their home state. Um, but if it becomes the dollars and cents war, <laughs> they become a lot more attractive than most teams. Yeah, no, I definitely get that point. I think for me, these next coming years, I know NIL just kind of got on the table, but when you kind of have a four years where all four guys on your roster has been, you know, a freshman since NIL has been around, I think that's kind of when we can kind of look at the landscape and kind of see, you know, okay, is all this money that they're pumping winning actual championships, winning the SEC West, getting the college football playoffs? Because if it's not, <laughs> it's going to create a whole new world of problems for some of these schools. And I'm kind of ready to see, like, which, which schools can actually take advantage of this NIL thing. Speaking of Texas A&M, we included them in our Citizens Bank poll question of the day at 104.5 ESPN on Twitter said, will Texas A&M beat Nick Saban again before he retires? 45% of you say, yes, he will. 55% of you say, no, he will not. 
question is how many more chances do they get? Is it like two or is it like nine? God, please don't coach till you're 80, Nick. Just enjoy some time at the lake. Take some time away. Leave. Let someone else do it. Don't worry about this stuff. Just keeps coming back. Yeah, he's like he's he's like that senior that's gotten held back 30 times. Like, how's this dude still on campus? That's Nick. He's not, never leaving Tuscaloosa. He's going to be there, like they say. He's going to be like one of those diabolical, like, wheelchair things, and he's just still coaching, figuring out a way to do it. I don't see him hanging it up. Like, he he's he's putting a, you know, <laughs> he's putting us like, so far out of reach to get all he's done. Like, I don't see him stopping that anytime soon. I'm going to miss him for the second time in a row that he's come to Baton Rouge. My first cousin is getting married for the during the LSU-Alabama game. Okay. Uh, so I will be at the wedding and not in Tiger Stadium for that one. Uh, and then two years ago when they came, I had uh, the Rona. So I did the pre and post game show from my kitchen table and did not uh, did not go see Alabama beat LSU by a hundred and Devontae Smith catch forty three touchdowns. Uh, so yeah, I will, uh, I'll miss Nick uh, coming up here in November, but that's okay because I don't necessarily want to watch that. Um, <laughs> that'll do it for uh, for today's show. Appreciate y'all hanging with, out with us on YouTube. Uh, for those of you that are hanging out there, um, can you throw us a like on your way out? We would really appreciate that. Told you at the end of the first hour, but I'll tell you again at the end of this hour, we've got a new uh, Spotify and uh, Apple Podcast, um, so you can catch us there. You can subscribe and get all the content there. We appreciate ratings, reviews, all that good stuff uh, is the way you can catch us on demand. No guests today. We were solo uh, all the way through. Uh, we started talking supers for the first 30 minutes of the show. Dylan T-Break is headed to Baton Rouge. We tell you about the new Tiger right-hander at 1230. Talked about Texas A&M trying to get Nick Saban fined and or suspended. The end of hour number one, some NBA talk um, and some Lincoln Riley talk. And hour number two also touched on a little bit of the PGA Tour and the festivities that went on over the weekend. So you can catch all that at 104.5 ESPN On Demand. Uh, still a lot coming up this week on the show. We will talk Super Regionals. We will talk College World Series. Chris Burke going to join us later in the week. We are going to get uh, Jason Kelly, LSU pitching coach, to join us. Uh, hopefully tomorrow they've been doing exit interviews uh, all weekend long, kind of sending guys to their, uh, their summer plans and certainly going to start talking to those recruits a lot. Uh, over the next uh, month or so. So I want to get Coach Kelly's thoughts on, on what's important in his first offseason now uh, with the LSU program and where he uh, where he goes from here. And we might get some thoughts on uh, Dylan T-Break. He can do that. i got to see if there's any kind of letter intent that's been signed for a grad transfer. I'm not sure. You always got to worry about the rules over here. So that'll do it for us here on a Monday edition of Hunt and Hill. Appreciate you all for hanging out with us. Matt Muscona will drive you home on After Further Review from 3 to 6. Jimmy Ott's game time. Coming at you from 6 to 8. Mario and Musso coming up next. They have got your early line talking, I'm sure, a good bit of NBA basketball. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a good rest of your Monday. It's Hunton Hill. This is Hunt and Hill on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge.